Hey everyone, welcome back to Two Nobodies. I'm Rupesh Patel. I have a very special guest today. He is one of the most important people in Canadian basketball. He might not think so because I know he's a humble guy, but he is. He truly is. Jesse Tipping. Jesse, welcome to Two Nobodies. Appreciate your time today. I, I'm really looking forward to our chat. Today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Pesh. I'm so happy to be here talking to you. It's been too long. It has been too long. Um, Folks probably wouldn't know this, but Jesse and I go back, I want to say 13 or so years. Jesse comes to University of Waterloo. He instantly makes an impact, especially in the locker room. I remember just being totally a team lead. What I remember about you, Jesse, so I was one, I was a strength conditioning coach for the University of Waterloo basketball team. Jesse comes in, just, you, you were just you pick my brain all the time. And I, all I remember is your commitment to excellence. Like you'd be, we'd be doing a plank or something and you'd just say, Hey, Pesh, am I doing this right? How's my form on this? Or like we've been doing a deadlift. How do I push this a little bit differently? What do I need to do? You tell me to spread the floor on that squat. How do I do that, man? Like it was just, I just remember just like you're, you're tenacious and just committed to excellence. And, and I always have sort of fond memories in training you. So it's, it's really, that, I'm looking yeah, forward to talking to you. No, I think, I mean, when I found someone like you who was just as interested in their craft and getting better and really exploring the different aspects of, you know, not just going by what somebody else said, but like trying to figure out how can you do it better. So I think I just naturally gravitated to you because, you know, even at the collegiate level, it's it's not always that everyone's trying to get better. Um, So when you find someone like that is, you just kind of mesh, so. I was just for me because I, you know, didn't really play sports growing up. I was always a small guy, so just to be able to train you guys, even though it was the University of Waterloo, and um, I, I just thought of you guys as just you know crazy athletes, and so just finding somebody who was willing to, you know, do things that crazy things that I wanted to do in the gym, like I just always appreciated that. So oh man, I appreciated you. That's awesome. I'm so glad we're yeah. back talking to each yeah. other. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I want to start. I, I want to start a little bit though first before we get into kind of what happened after you left the University of Waterloo because I kind of I, I followed you from afar, of course, but just sort of the um, the drive behind the athlete institute. I want to get to that for sure. But did you have you followed the NBA this season? Draft lottery was yesterday. What are you thinking about that? Like, what's uh, what? What do you feel about the the Raptors and their prospects? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think that there's some really really strong players that they could pick up at the number four spot. I think the top three spots are probably locked up. Uh, I've seen yeah. all those guys, you know, for the last five years really, and you know, there's some there's special players. But I think at number four, there's still some you know some some difference makers. Those guys, you can see with the way the game is going, they can come in immediately and really start making a, a strong impact for a team. Whereas, you know, even five, six years ago, it would take, you know, three, four years to have that impact because the game was more physical and, you know, less free movement. 
Do you think, I don't know if there, do you think there's going to be a big available for Toronto? Because it seems like that's sort of the, the hole that needs to be filled. Mobley, I think, could drop. I mean, I don't think. You think so? I think every year we see something in the top five that we did nobody really saw. And yeah. at that level, and I've had the, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be at the draft. Um, they don't let it get out, right? When they're, when they're thinking about somebody because they don't want to, mm. to be, why are they thinking about it? What did we miss? So, you know, some surprises could happen. You know, a team could really like a certain player uh, and come in at the number three spot and then maybe we can get them at the four. Who knows? But uh, still chance in it. How much do you think Kyle Lowry has to play into this situation for the Raptors? I think Kyle's done everything and more for the Raptors. Um, I think for him, now it's just going to be about trying to mentor somebody to take over because mm. the culture uh, with him has you know been incredible. Him with Masai and for sure. the, you know, the, the solid front. So I think now for Kyle, it's obviously he's got game left, don't get me wrong, but like, mm-hmm. can he transition the next leader so that they don't have this you know dip period of this mm. guy didn't work, this guy didn't work sort of thing. Yeah, because when I look at the, when I see the the mock draft sort of projections, they're saying at four likely could be sort of a point guard, shooting guard kind of position. So I'm thinking, okay, well, what does that mean, right? Like, what does that mean for, obviously, Fred is is in the starting lineup, but what does that mean for, you think that your plans around Kyle would kind of shape that selection yeah, a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think Kyle and management know exactly the way things are going to play out for Kyle. I think Kyle would do best by the Raptors, mm-hmm. Always do best by him. So I think if you look at a guy like Jalen Suggs, you know, who the Raptors could get at number four, he's incredible. Like, and can Fred play with another point guard? Yeah, they've proven that they could play mm. with two Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So passing up on the Suggs uh, because of my foot pressure on Kyle, I think he's smarter than that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see where where the Raptors go. Um, and it sounds like, you know, with this, after this draft lottery, there's Toronto should be back in play. I mean, they, there's just an unfortunate season they had, Hey, with, with just the COVID sickness and well, they knew what they were doing and they knew what, um, they weren't going to be able to do this year. Yeah. So yeah, from yeah. the very start, they were playing, you know, their players that they needed to develop. Um, you know, they were hoping you know to get in there wherever they did. And obviously they didn't, but, for them, I think, um, I think Toronto's now a much more desirable free agent location, so they don't have to be as scared about that they can't get a free agent. It makes it easier for yeah. them to draft, um, you know, very quality players, so that they can start building a team and then pick up a free agent. You know, I'm sure they've got some guys that they know are coming up in 22, 23. Um, yeah. So I think, I think because of their championship, it takes the pressure off of the draft for Toronto. Because before that, people just didn't want to sign free agents to, to go to Toronto. You think that time's over with? I, I think so. Like the time time where people sort of had some doubts about Toronto, you think that's think that's done with? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's still, I mean, I see it still, but I think there's still a stigma of like, you know, I've got to, I don't want to go to Canada. You know, I'd rather go to yeah. 
Minnesota. Um, but like most um, of the basketball players in that, you know, they love coming to Toronto. Toronto's been like one of the favorite cities by all the, you know, the roster players that I've talked to in the NBA as mm-hmm. a place to visit. Excuse me. So I think that gap of, you know, where Toronto couldn't pick up a free agent is a, a lot over, but not, not fully. Do you think the, the border thing and like customs is kind of overblown? Because like I heard, I forget which uh, podcast it was. It was one of the NBA players who was doing a podcast. Um, might've been like Steven Jackson and, and, uh, Matt Barnes who did their podcast or whatever. And they were talking to, uh, somebody about just sort of traveling to Canada and how, how just the customs is actually like players find it annoying. And I never really thought about that, but they're saying just, it can get kind of tiring to go through it all the time. I mean, I've heard it too, but like a lot of American basketball players, there's no reason to leave the States. So they just they're not used to it you know we have that issue in high school right now trying to get u.s teams to come up and play they all want to so they all want to come up. they request to come up Mm. but then they realize that they got to get all their players passports and they're like oh you know like we can't do that like because most of the people don't have a passport so even until they get to the nba a lot of them they'll most likely get a passport because the nba makes them now but they're not used to the process. I think anything, you know, other than stop to stop, get off and get out is annoying for them, but that's a yeah. pretty soft excuse. I'm sure they're treated well. <laughs> yeah, that's what, I, yeah, I was just wondering your perspective on that because that, that, that was my feel on that too. I was going to say, are you able to move a little bit forward sure. just for your mic? That's able, that's possible. Um, yeah, I think that's great. Do you feel like Kyle Lowry sort of the greatest Raptor of all time. Where's your feeling on that one? Absolutely. Yeah. No, no No question question. for you. No question at all. I mean, he brought us a championship. There's no way we're getting that without him. Yeah. Even the players who were on it, it was a great team, but if you didn't have that glue of that leader who was willing to live, you know, die on, you know, on the floor, the way Kyle does, like, they're not getting the buy-in. Like, you don't win that with, you know, you take out Kyle and they even have Kawhi, you're still not winning it. Like, to me, that mm. he's, he's that glue. And I think for sure he's the greatest Raptor. I mean, Vince wanted to leave. Bosh wanted to leave. They lose all their credibility right there with me. So Kyle's had the chance. To okay, so you're you're not, you're, are you, you're not a Vince hater. No, though, no, right? I love the guy. That's okay. why we play basketball okay. in Canada. Because you and I are the same age, and like Vince was like he put he put Canada basketball on the map, in my opinion, like at least Toronto on the map. I mean, you know, Steve Nash obviously a huge figure, but you know, people around. I grew up in Toronto. Kids weren't holding basketballs before Vince, like you know, walking up and down the street. Like it was not a thing. Vince came in, and that city was hopping, man. Like I remember the 2000 playoffs when I was there. Um, it was just another level, you know. That's why I started playing basketball because of Vince. First thing, yeah. fifteen, got the shocks, like the worst yep. shoes for yep. your feet you could possibly. Oh, for your knees yeah. too, man. The biomechanics are terrible on those knees. <laughs> but you know, Vince set Canada on fire with basketball. So, but he chose to leave. That's over. 
Yeah, you think that was a choice? You think that it wasn't forced or anything on him? That was a choice. Okay. <laughs> I think that I think I think that I think that they, you know, he I think he made some plays to try to get some marquee players and they didn't really listen to him and um, you know, I'm sure Eagles are in play and stuff like that and that builds up to it, but No, he just wanted to leave. He just didn't think he would ever <laughs> win in Toronto. He just wanted to leave. All right, we're gonna maybe agree to disagree <laughs> on this one. <laughs> I was I was personally heartbroken when DeRozan left because he was obviously a guy who wanted to stay. Um, but obviously, you know, Kawhi, Kawhi proved it, right? But yeah, I mean, Kawhi didn't stay. I was I don't know how he did not stay on that one. But uh, I was never a DeRozan fan, so when he no? I, I, he would have been I would have got rid of him years before. Okay. What's your thing about DeRozan? He's a great you know, third best player on a team that can win for sure. But you, you can't mm. win with a superstar who specializes in long two pointers. Like, I just don't see how that's, uh, you know, it's still worth two and it takes too long to do it. So the statistics to say. you're talking about like in the new NBA, you can't win that way. Cause I mean like the nineties oh, were yeah. built on eighties and nineties weren't built on three. No, no, right? Then sure. But now like you're going to build yeah, okay. a team around a guy who, you know, shoots most of his shots from 15 to 17 feet. I don't know. I think uh, the analytics say it would work. Mm. But that's fair. It's, uh, that's fair. Yeah, I think he's a quality player. I just don't think he can be the star. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to. Uh, this is a bit of a tension point to start our. <laughs> we could just keep going on this one. Um, you're obviously a guy who knows about sort of up and coming Canadian talent. So what's what? Do, who do people need to look out for? Like maybe I don't know. Are there any? I was I was doing some research over the last week. There might there could be some Canadian prospects who could get drafted. Is my understanding? Um, who are some people that people need to look out for? I think uh, Eugene Amaruri out of Oregon. Okay. So he's okay. a senior coming out of Oregon. He played. He came out of our program four years ago um okay but he's a six seven six eight you know 245 super athletic Oof. shoots a three like coming to like a draymond green and he's just a glue guy yeah like he's i think he could be a, like in the locker room you mean just everything he's glue just, in the locker room or what do you, oh. on the floor he just does everything right if you look at the draft okay. combine right now the g league uh combine is right now like his stat sheets are five you know five assists, seven points, you know, 12 rebounds, three blocks. Like in today's NBA, I think he could be really useful for any team that needs to go and mm-hmm. transition the way they switch all the positions. You know, he can guard you know, four or five of them. So. Okay. Him, AJ Lawson, um, he's a good prospect. Uh, mm. I love Andrew Nemhart's game. Mm. Where does he play at him? Gonzaga. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's some Canadians who definitely could uh, you know, do something, go in the draft. But there's always going to be Canadians now. That's the fun part. Is that there's like every year yeah. there's going to be a handful of Canadians who could get drafted. How does that make you feel? Oh, it's fantastic. Like, it's. Uh, I mean, I think my mind got kind of blown when I was at the draft with uh, Jamal and Thon. And to see two of our players get drafted in the, in the top 10 of the draft, like, just didn't, something I set out to do, but it was just, 
it just showed the potential of, you know, with the talent and people and the kids in this country, you know, that it is, it's just the sky's the limit. Yeah, for sure. That's a good transition into uh, sort of how everything kind of got started. So you leave, you finish at the University of Waterloo. Walk me through just where your mind was at. Sort of, were you just thinking that you're that you're going to stay connected to basketball? Were you planning to? Because um, what you what you even major in in, in Waterloo? Liberal studies. Right. I don't even know what I that don't is. Know what he does. <laughs> I call it the degree of jeopardy because you know a little bit about everything, but you know nothing. Yeah. Of, uh, you don't don't know enough about one thing. But um, no, when I transferred to Waterloo, my my kinesiology credits didn't transfer, so I would have had to do okay. like three years. I was like, forget that. Mm. So mm. I switched to liberal studies and just did more kin classes and business classes and climate classes and yeah. all fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But when I left, um, I learned later on in life that I have this problem where it's not a problem, but when I see a gap in something, I can see something's missing mm. and I know I can do something to fix it. Like I just can't help myself. So mm. I obviously loved basketball. I wanted to do something in basketball coming out of Waterloo. Um, I wanted to be a strength coach, you know, get into sort of exactly where sort of you left left off get into that world know it more mm. i went on like a sort of a i'm not like a tour but like doing a ton of certifications visiting a ton of facilities and i started training basketball players um in a strength coach capacity in a strength coach and on on floor so i do some skills, skills stuff, okay and yep. then i do the strength yeah. stuff and i was kind of it's not the first guy around but like that was kind of like the added bonus that my background was in mm -hmm. sort of the kinesiology aspect of it. Um, but then I was so, you know, so recently I played basketball. I could trade on the encore as well. So I saw this, I, I kept asking our kids, you know, that I'd be training. I was like, Oh, where do you go to school? What do you do? Blah, blah. And I saw this massive like laundry list of kids who were just like, Oh, I can't train anymore. I'm going down to school and, South Carolina, West Virginia. I'm looking up these schools and I'm like, this isn't like, this is nothing, right? Like there's just buckets of kids just going south to American schools to play basketball. And I was trying to figure out why, like, why is this happening? Why can't they stay in the schools here? Why, like, what's missing? And I realized here there was a big gap right? The rules here for, for schools, for high schools to play basketball, you can't transfer to a different school. There's only so many, mm. there's only so many good schools in uh, Toronto mainly that, you know, you could really get seen that focused on basketball. What do you mean you can't transfer to schools? Are you talking about like one part of Ontario to another part of Ontario, for instance? Yeah, exactly. Or? Like you take a kid like me, put me in high school, I, you know, live in Orangeville, want to focus on basketball, yeah. want to get better, want to go to a good school. Well, Orangeville, you know, not the best at basketball. I can't transfer to a different school. I can't transfer to an Eastern Commerce, to an old, mm. you know, to a, one of the Toronto schools that goes yeah. to U.S. tournaments. Henry Carr, Henry Carr or something like that. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. Um, yeah. I 
can't transfer to those schools because then you'd be ineligible to play for two years and you're not allowed to transfer out of your area. So all these kids who are stuck because their schools really weren't paying attention to basketball, the province wasn't paying attention to basketball, were just finding somewhere to go play. Going to all these schools mm. in the States and they're paying so much money and they're going and they're not getting credits and a lot of kids are getting, you know, left and not fed and there's horror stories. Mm. And it's like, if these kids are going to like go through hell and high water, literally just to play basketball and try to get seen, there's got to be a, like a way I can fix this mm. or at least something I could do. So, you know, I had this thought of like, you know, putting a program together that went all year round and I, I was, you know, it's not like I was the first to, to do it or try it. You know, I, I seen a model, Canada basketball tried to do a model Richard here was early 2000s called NIDA, which was the National Elite Development Academy. So they wanted to take okay. high school age basketball kids. They did it at Mac actually in Hamilton. Hmm. Put them all together. Put them through school, training events, stuff like that. And so they could be together and train and get more out of, you know, exposure. It didn't work. You know, there's, there's too many people at play, you know, using the university space to how to find housing and dorms to... Mm. So it's not like I hadn't seen sort of different models before. But I created, I, I thought about this model of how can I create something that captures culture? Because, you know, in my journey of trying to make it in basketball, I realized that, you know, a lot of private schools, they have culture of sports. They might not be good at it, but they have this like mm-hmm. lineage, right, of something that you're playing for, mm-hmm. some, that, something to be proud of. Right. Um, you know, that sort of varsity jacket, you know, all that stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. So I want to take mix that culture with sort of the highest level of performance, you know, the IMG academies, the, the top level sort of elite athlete development. How, how can I mix the two? Because both of them weren't, weren't working. Um, to create one sort of program where you get sort of top top level development mixed with a, a culture. So I thought it would be best to partner with a local high school um, so they get that sort of class experience with other people and social development, but in a our private facility with you know their own gym branded for them, you know home mm-hmm. games, locker room. Mm-hmm stuff hold that thought for a second because i want to remind you of something that you did for the waterloo team and that's just triggering me tricking me to think about something in that when you talk about culture i remember that you brought the entire team jackets do you yeah, remember that absolutely yeah you brought everybody from all the coaches to all the players you had like the, i think with their jordan jackets and you had everyone's name number or whatever on that and it never dawned on me. I never thought about it. All my life, this guy, this guy, this, this is a nice guy, right? He's doing nice things for the team. But look at that, man. Like, you're just, you, you're thinking about the culture piece. I'm assuming that's what yeah, you're going for, right? Is that we kind of need our own yeah. team identity. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah. And, like, I had a wild journey trying to make it in basketball, right? Went to three universities, three high schools. Yep. So, like, six schools just trying to find a pathway for basketball. So, building the academy was just 
what didn't work in my pathway? Like, what did I need to actually make it? And then can I mm. replicate that? So the jackets, it's a, it's a great example because I still talk to Cam and see Cam. He still has the jacket. It's great. But uh, no, that was exactly why I, I thought at that time, everybody has to feel like they're part of the team. You got to look good, yeah. show off your confidence, and uh, we could be better. Man, those jackets were so good. I was I was so proud to wear that jacket because I was like, this is the only Jordan thing I have. It has my name on it, and it said, like, S Coach. And I was like, this guy, like, wants me, like, he truly believes, like, I'm a part of the team. And, like, just, again, from a person who's never really been a part of sports teams, like, definitely made me feel like I was a part of the team. Yeah, that's moment, awesome. So appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was my first, <laughs> that was my first uh, experience with, you know, getting gear printed and like you know, getting the sizing mm. charts and all that stuff. Now, like that, that yeah. is the worst. I hate doing that so much because I've been through eleven years of like just printing gear for hundreds of thousands of kids. But it's. Uh, Do you oversee that process? Like you're the one who gives that final approval sort of thing? Or uh, I used to until about like two years ago. So still okay. sorting the gear, getting the sizes and everything. Uh, yeah. Obviously, their team's grown, but no, that was uh, that's funny you brought that up. It's, hilarious there's little things though like i don't know if i don't know if i never know if athletes recognize these things but there's little things that like i remember us as a as a training staff would do like us and the therapist and that's like we'd make sure the jerseys are up and like make sure like your your little cubes are like you know dressed appropriately or whatever and it was all like done before the game so you guys would come in and be like damn, this is my locker room, right? Like, this is where I sit. And just the extra bit of pride kind of goes in there. I never knew if, like, if the if players noticed that sort of thing. But, like, that was sort of our way of showing, like, hey, we, we totally value this team and we want you guys to feel good, you know? Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think it 1,000% did that. I think athletes at the time, you know, pretend that, you know, we're all ready and pumped. And you don't say, you know, you don't yeah, say yeah. thank yous and amazings. But, like, uh, I take those pieces now and still implement them because like when someone's not doing something if you can do more you're setting yourself apart so when you guys did that it made everything like it makes the player sitting down being like they care about my performance they care they want me to be there mm. so i think it's i think too many uh sports is is it's going away from stuff like that because too many people are now sort of individualizing each part of sports you know, you take all these individuals and yeah, you can get them to play together better, but this guy does it this way. This guy, you know, warms up this way. This guy does this. Mm. You know, I miss the days of team shoes and, and uh, track suits and, you know, it's fun. Well, I was listening to Chris Bosch was on an interview recently and he was talking about how people don't realize that, you know, people glorify the players, right? But they don't understand that while they're the ones who are performing, there is a whole group of people making sure, like you said, that they're ready, right? And he's like, I'm I'm appreciating that, like now that I'm retired and everything, I really get to like sit back and be like, hey, I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing if it wasn't for that high school coach who drove across town to drop me off because I grew up in like the ghettos of Dallas, right? And if he didn't make those efforts, I wouldn't have been able to get there. And that's where I was, I was trying to think about like what you're doing in, 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 in Orangeville 
is my understanding is that you're trying to, you know, not only create that culture, but you're creating like a safe space for people to be able to play basketball and learn. Like, tell us, tell me a little bit about that. And sort of, it's not just about basketball, but it's about like developing people, right? Like hole in hole is my understanding. Yeah, hundred percent. Obviously the, the carrot is always basketball and that's at the end of the day why those you know kids are, are there. But well, me and the staff, we really believe that it's our opportunity to, have an imprint, you know, on a new, on every set of the generations and like mm-hmm. give the opportunity to make, you know, try to help them become better people, better brothers, better husbands in the future, boyfriends, you know, give them a, a view of everything and try to make them understand basketball is not everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, even inside that we, we teach our own curriculum outside of the high school curriculum on, mm. you know, sports and business, contracts and, um, you know, all the areas of where you can find a job outside of playing for sports. Because there's just, there's so many mm. areas that people don't realize are needed, right? All those service aspects of how to get a player ready. One player on a team might make it, but if a player can transition into, you know, a- another role inside sports world because they get to have an inside look at it like it's mm. uh you know try to teach it teach them that but i mean i'd love to teach them everything you know to try like that they don't get i mean from regenerative agriculture to automotive services yeah. <laughs> to aviation but like you know it for them it's just they're captured by basketball and for us we give them every tool that they would need all that they got to bring is just the, the attitude and the effort and they won't you know they won't need anything else and you know we've had almost a hundred percent track record of getting kids post-secondary scholarships in the last 11 it's years amazing. so we're close to 20 million dollars or just over 20 million dollars in scholarships for kids um, wow so yeah, it's over 30, 36, 37 Division One scholarships, seven NBA players. So it's, but they're they, it's a pretty successful program, my man. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, the the kid, the, the talent was there. We just try to make sure that they're, and I don't think they really appreciate it now. They definitely don't. I mean, some of them do. They go to college. Maybe. What do you mean they don't appreciate? It? Like they don't they don't recognize that you, like that sort of system helped get them there or something or? when they're a kid like the culture is like that's deserved for them right because you know they're good there's so much hype now on on high school players and the notoriety they get so like when they get a little bit, bit of it it's like well of course i get this like you know i'm good but then some of those kids now that we're sort of years into it they come back from you know call it a, a mid-major division one program where they average some minutes here and there they weren't a, a, mm. Mm. a star player but they you know weren't a, on the bench the whole time and they come back and they say i should have paid more attention when i was here like <laughs> my other school didn't have as good as a strength coach as good as facilities as good as you know yeah trainers like it's just like i was a better division one program here and i always thought that as soon as i get to division one it's going to be bigger and better but there's only so many programs that are that big, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, did Orangeville Secondary, like the high school, did it exist before you guys 
got started like when created orangeville prep or yeah. like and then yeah tell me about that i actually didn't understand don't understand that part uh, our partnerships with orangeville district secondary school which is a public secondary school that's been around since 1880s or 1890s like it's, okay uh, okay you know it's been a minute um but i went to them early on and just explained to them what i wanted to do and if they wanted to you know see this mission through and I'd always do whatever I can to support them as well. Um, and if they needed something or if they needed um, or having issues with anybody. So we started a partnership and I think that's why it's really worked um, rather than mm. just they're in our program, but go to that school. Cause that's a lot of programs have tried that and it just crashes and crashes and burns because the school gets frustrated with kids outside of their district and, there mm. so it's it's been a great relationship with orangeville district does does orangeville district have its own basketball team or orangeville prep is the basketball team for orangeville district no orangeville district has its own basketball team okay so we're like its prep team and then it has its varsity team but okay like we play out of our own facility right um right so they just they go to school there nine to three like a regular student yeah we work closely with the guidance department and the teachers we do teachers nights for our games and Mm. and uh we try to keep them as included with the part of the school as we can Mm -hmm. yeah so it sounds like it's just yeah like you said that really sort of strong partnership that uh has made it work yeah yeah though um Okay. No, I was going to say that, you know, they'll understand like when we go ahead of time and say, Hey, we're going to be traveling, you know, to the U S these five consecutive weekends. Um, and we've got a test here. Can we move it up to here? You know, can we, as long as we've worked with them, they'll say, yeah, like I don't understand. Yeah. You're learning the same stuff. So take the test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah getting into now the development of the athlete institute so if i remember correctly you, that was like a that was a family gym wasn't it to start yeah my my parents opened a like a recreational complex in year 2000 okay and my dad opened it because there was a, a, a teacher strike in i think 98 that kind of shut down. Mm-hmm, I remember shut that. Shut down sports. Yeah. Um, sort of, you know, worked a rule and stuff like that. So, like, they canceled sports and arts. And I think the next year was a janitorial strike, which cut down mm-hmm. facilities because janitors control the, the, the sport yeah. of the school's facilities. So, it's basically a whole period of, like, one, there's no sports to play. And that's around the time when I was getting into basketball and my sister as well. And, and two, we can't even get into a gym if we wanted to. And mm. back then, there was really no private gyms. It was just, you know, high schools, elementary schools. So the janitors controlled whether people played basketball. So my dad said, screw this. Like, I'm going to build a gym so that kids can always have a place to come, a safe place to come play. They always need to be able to play, so I'm just going to build it. And he built it and opened in 2000 and for 10 years it operated as a community center. You know, kids would come play ball, hockey, basketball, volleyball, 
know, mm-hmm. it had um, you know, a fitness membership component to it. Yeah. There was a, a, a tennis bubble and stuff like that for Dom. So it was a, a community fitness center, and its purpose was because kids always need a place to play. Shouldn't be mm. left up to governments to decide whether or not they should play, which didn't age well for them at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When uh, something that kind of caught my attention is you just talking about how your dad just saw a problem and he's like, "Let me take that on." It's kind of how <laughs> when you talked about sort of the start of you identifying a gap. Tell me about, if you don't mind, tell me about uh, sort of like the impact that your dad has had on your life and, and sort of maybe shaping the way you think or approach things right now. Because we talk, Kyle and I talk a lot about fatherhood. We talk about sort of how we raise our kids. We've talked about our dads. So fatherhood is sort of a um, kind of an ingrained part of our podcast. And so whenever there's an opportunity to talk about those sort of things, we'd love to sort of dive in with folks. So. Absolutely. That's, that's my number one job now. So, um, no, my dad was always a guy who, he didn't care if he was going against the grain in his decision making. Mm. He was just, nope, this is what I'm doing. And he could have been wrong, could have been right. He didn't care. He was just, you know, got a, a mission in his head and he needed to, to do it. It took us around the world, you know. I went to 18 different schools in 13 years. What? Yeah. Lived in, I don't know, five, six, you know, England, Hawaii, Florida, New Zealand. Like, so when, for me, seeing that constantly gives you the confidence to take chances, stand mm-hmm. up for something, you know, not worry if someone's, you know, uh, doesn't have your back or whatever it is. It's, you know, you learn to stand on your two feet and live by your decisions. He wasn't always the greatest with following through, but he was great mm-hmm. at that initial getting started yeah starter um whereas where i came in was i can't stop take things through like i love to start things but when i start something like i have to finish it so it's not like you know when i start you know came out of college i thought what do i want to do with the rest of my life i thought oh high school basketball um no, it was just at that time I had started something, got down a pathway of, you know, training basketball players in this academy and, and I'll see it through to a finish and it's become a, you know, a juggernaut now and it's doing the same thing for soccer. Our soccer academy is, you know, we've got... You're doing soccer yeah, now too? we've got okay. four or five national team players at the U16 level, um, one national team. I had no idea for Nigeria. Um, yeah, so Athlete and Sweet Football Club is our, is our soccer academy. So mm. it's it's been fun, but uh, the follow through. Did you notice? Like, was that something you're like? I've noticed my dad. Sort of, this is maybe where a gap is, and and I'm just going to be more conscious about it. Like, have you ever thought about that? Oh, every day, right? Like, because you always yeah. get compared to your father, and it's yeah. just like, oh well. He never, you know, he never took it through the finish line. And it just, you know, it's like, well, now I have to, like, <laughs> can't, I have to win. Like, it's... Well, you don't have to. There are a lot of people who don't, right? There are a lot of people who just sort of maybe take that or maybe sort of 
even go for even regress. Like, I think it's an active choice that you made to be like, okay, here's something that I think my dad has been really great at starting things. I've learned a ton, but I think I can take it to the next level. Like, I think that requires a lot of energy and focus and determination to do that. Like, I think you need to, yeah, I think you cut yourself some slack. Like, I mean, you, you, you really took it upon yourself to do that. No, and absolutely. But I'm a, a big believer in things happen for a reason and there's a purpose. And to me, he started, you know, he put the, the initial shovel in the ground. Who knows if I would have done that, right? So the purpose started, you know, it, it's all part of, a, you know, a, a bigger purpose. So his, his decision of starting that, you know, my part of my purpose might be to, you know, continue it on. So it's all, you know, happening you know, for a reason, as I kind of feel it. But um, I think absolutely, you know, I choose to continue on it's it's a fantastic journey to try to accomplish it's been a wild ride and you know to see the little things that i've been able to build grow into these sort of big entities you know on national tv and stuff like that it's fun it's amazing uh when you think about when you say uh, everything sort of has there's a purpose are you one of those people who thinks you know life is sort of predetermined and there's a clear pathway in there for you and everything's everything's kind of organized and set in its way or do you think like there's things just happen randomly and and we attract things uh i'd say i'm in the middle like i think that all actions have consequences right good Mm -hmm. bad they could they could ripple for generations and i think you know those decisions some decisions that people make before us they ripple and we don't know how long the ripple's going to go for and we don't know if, even if it's happening but i think you know some of the decisions of what i've seen my dad make in sort of starting this journey and and where i'm taking it on and stuff like that i just think that that you know it's probably a ripple from something he saw in his childhood that he needed to do and then you know it goes on and i think our decisions are not predetermined but I think our actions um, set the pathway. And and I guess so what I'm hearing is that that ripple is essentially, so you're setting, like, for example, if you think about your kids, you're sending a ripple and that's probably going to influence the environment that they're going to be living in. And But obviously what I'm still hearing is that they're going to still make an active choice about whether they want to be um, sort of influenced by that ripple or not. Exactly. Is that? Yeah. I kind yeah. of like if large ripples happen, small ripples, if there's, a, if there's a bu- like a bubble of safety, as I feel for children, where they can feel safe to mm. explore, they can feel safe to express emotions, and they can feel safe to, to just grow up without having you know, outside influence, that ripple down in life, you know, hopefully will be a positive ripple and not a negative because for sure. whether it's our education system, which is completely broken and, you know, messing with people's learning abilities. Like, um, I just think that these ripples either end up positive or negative. Yeah. Tell me about your, the, like, did you take any leadership training or management training or anything? Just, I mean, you had to, you started an organization, like, how did you how did you figure that out and how what's your sort of leadership style like 
shoot first, aim second. Yeah, okay. No. Um, I've always been someone who's had a tremendous amount of confidence, and that's because, you know, the my bubble has always been allowed to explore, try, do. Yeah. You know, and I've seen things around the world, so I, I, can, I can see the other perspective of what's happening other places. So I think that just breeds so much confidence into a kid. Um, and so when mm. they stop being a kid and they have to start making you know, their grown-up decisions or, you know, transitional decisions when they're getting from sort of that 20s age. Mm. You take those big shots, right? And um, I'm Mm. fortunate enough to come from a family that I can, you know, you get the luxury of to take a big shot and fail if, if that happens. So I think for me it was just... If I crash and burn, I'll pick. I'll stand back up and try again. And it's the same thing I did through basketball. It's like I've had so many just career-ending injuries where it's just been, you know what, I'm just going to rehab this and try again. Do you think there's uh, sort of too much structure these days that's limiting that creative safe space that you're speaking of? In like structure, it could be structure. The structure be in basketball. It could be in the schooling system. Do you think we're limiting ourselves in any way? Is that yeah. becoming more and more prevalent? I think you know, where sports are getting so individualized, as I said before. But you know, kids are picking mm. a sport so early on. They're not playing a lot of sports. You know, not playing a bunch of sports when they grow up, and it's even becoming more in that. As where it's like. They're, taking out the arts or taking out the creative aspect of mm. it. Um, they're sort of, you know, you're separated into groups of where you fit. And I think that's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster because mm. again, somebody's only, you know, real confidence comes from being able to try lots of things, fail lots of things, realize see other people do it and keep trying. So I, I you know, I'm not a huge fan of our, education system um, mm. and its learning styles because I just think that it it focuses on the, the facts that someone else thinks you should know and it takes out the the, the, the allure of learning of what we don't know mm. I like that because our brains are wired to try to explore right and, and learn like until the You'd know better, but I think there's a blood-brain barrier that, you know, as at a certain point sort of closes off to language and, and learning as a kid. So mm. we're built to absorb knowledge. And to limit a kid's learning in the school system to say whether you have to learn at this, you know, grade and only these things or only these topics and this is how you're supposed to learn it. Every kid is different, right? They're dealing with For sure. massive amounts of different types of stresses and then you put them in the exact same learning environment and say go doesn't make any sense for sure i mean we you and i when we would train together as you know like the training is all individualized to really get the best out of each person right like it's it's basic it's common sense uh gretzky said something really interesting i don't know if you've heard them say this but he said that he finds the game of hockey has become too structured like while they're while they're producing better athletes and and just 
just really high performers and these people have great skills. He feels like the game has lost its creativity. He said back in the day, like, you know, you'd pick up a puck and you just kind of, well, as we've seen with all those, you know, childhood footages of him picking up the puck and just figuring out his way and skating. And, and, and he's like, that's where my creativity came from. Right. And I'm sure that applies to so many other things. Right. And, and you think about like sort of where like our economy is going and, and we're getting, you know, we're depending more on machines to do a lot of the work. Where are we going to be able to have a job? It's going to be in places probably where we have to like express creativity. You know, it's, it's, I, I, I agree with you. It's a big concern of mine too. Yeah. Right. Like again, there's getting a job. Yes. So, you know, you can, you can live, but like, I feel like the, the basics of just how do you live, right? How do you grow your own food? How do you, you know, mm. how do you build a, a house? Like, these are things that like, I, I get, I think we're so cherished early on, but now we're so reliant. I mean, you can 3D print a house if you want to. So like, you know, why yeah. would I need to build it? But again, mm. you shut off that valve of accessibility. What are you going to do? Well, we saw that with COVID, yeah. right? Like with the with all the supply chains being knocked out and everyone's being dependent on China yeah. for everything. And we couldn't even make our own PPE in Canada, you know, because we had nothing. And, uh, our so. grocery stores, you know, go a little bit dry for a week and people lose their Panic. mind, right? Like, yeah. But that's yeah. a real fact. Like, what is anyone going to do if the grocery stores all of a sudden don't have food? For sure, for sure. Are you guys growing your own food over there? Yeah. You try to? Yeah. I started getting, I started studying sort of regenerative agriculture, you know, three or four years ago. I did a podcast on that. Actually. Did you really? Yeah. I'm going to watch that. Yeah. With, uh, with, uh, some farmers, uh, in here in Alberta and Edmonton and they grow their own meat. And he was just talking about sort of they were city dwellers and then they moved out and they started their own farming and talked everything about the benefits of regenerative agriculture. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's just, uh, again, we teach these things to our kids that are so far away from, you know, what could possibly be helping them. But like, even in regenerative agriculture, you're telling me that you don't learn math, science, like all those things, but you're actually learning how to do mm. something productive and actually feed yourself if you needed to. Like, you know, it's kids get uh, are, are too hung up with it's you know, the thing with school is that kids go there. And they're taught by their peers to not like it. Don't like learning. Yeah. Don't like school. So then their whole childhood yeah. is this fight of like, should I look, should I, you know, learn their bodies wired to learn. So they got to learn something. But like, so when it came time for us to put our son in school, it was obviously if he didn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 How do you, with your players um, or the people that you guys recruit to Orangeville prep, does creativity factor in it? Like, what's the recruiting process look like? Um, well, I leave it mostly up to our, our head coach. I mean, I hold a, we, we always talk about the incoming recruits. Um, and we have a standard that, you know, they have to hold sort of that athlete institute or until prep standard of, hmm. of an individual. And a lot of that, obviously, they're, they're good at basketball, but, you know, they have to meet with us and, meet with their parents and talk about who they are and what they like to do and get the no process. And, and we've had 
great kids and we've had, you know, kids that didn't work out and we've had kids who've, you know, been everywhere in between. But it's a, I think the beauty of it is like, I get to see this dynamic of all these kids the year after year after year and how the generations keep changing so quickly. And, you know, I think people could say that's the same as it's always been, but even in like 10 years, where, where teenagers are at and the pressures and everything they have from when I started the program in 2012 to now, like it's, it's a completely different world. Hmm. Feel bad for these kids these when, days. They have so much pressure. Like, what do you mean by that? There's so much, so many oh, okay. pressures on them. Like there's always eyes everywhere on their phones. There's always like somebody watching them. Is that how much of that is like created by themselves? Like, do the, these guys want to be on like Instagram and on social media and stuff like that, or is, there or is it required of them? Or? Is there a strain of uh, society that teaches us that we're not that allowed isn't? to? Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. No, like yeah. everything happens there now, right? You have to get recruited, but their phones, we take their phones at 8 a.m. We give them back to them at 8 p.m. when they're Monday through Friday. So they're. When they're in season. Yeah, when kind they're of thing. with us, they have to prove to us and, and keep a certain grade point average to keep their phone during the day. Mm. But 8 to 8, um, the phones are on their desk in their room. So how long are they with you guys? Like from what, September to like end of June kind of thing or what? Yeah, for most kids. But I've had kids that, you know, have been with the, who have stayed four years straight. I had, a, mm. I had a group of kids from South Sudan with us for four years. They'd be with me for Christmas and all the holidays, staying mm. with like family. It was, it was awesome. That's cool. Yeah, they're all off of you. You probably, I mean, you've, you've lived across, like you said, you've lived in so many countries, but just, I'm assuming just your exposure to diversity has been probably pretty massive over the last nine years or so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you yeah. see some of the, hear some of the stories that a lot of these kids go through, you know, especially the kids, you know, coming, who came from South Sudan, right? When they first mm-hmm. came over, it was October. You know, they, they had a backpack and a pair of shoes, you know, freezing. Like they get them a toque and a hat, and they're just like, you know, they I'd teach them how to use a water fountain. You know, it's mm-hmm. the first time they've been in a, a building with a steel roof. Wow. Um, you know, 13-year-old kids that 6'10", right, do barely speak English in Canada from they're just in South Sudan, like the culture shock and like getting to basically help raise those kids. Cause they were again, living with me for Christmas and holidays and breaks and for four years, like it was, they, they teach you so much more than you can teach them and their culture mm-hmm. and what we're missing in ours. So that, is that something you expected to happen? Like that you would have to be eventually taken care of or, or looking after kids from south sudan like that's just incredible man like that's probably I, did you expect that no no like you just yeah again you make a decision you live with the consequences and you hope it's a positive ripple like and that's kind of the where of it going and again it was a fantastic experience was it hard was it hard for them absolutely but i mean 
one of them's at Montana Tech studying to become a civil engineer. Um, you know, one's in Utah who graduated high school and now he's in college, which was, he, you know, he was reading at a second grade level when he came. Like, you know, and then they're going to get degrees and then they're going to either play basketball or, you know, try to you know, bring them back to Canada and become residents. So it's, it's fantastic. I mean, they're just incredible people. I mean, just their culture, we have so much to learn from their culture. We think we have everything right in North America, mm. but uh, there's... Gives you perspective, Gives you eh? so much perspective, yeah, on how much we can have yeah. and, and still they're just so much happier. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible because I'm, I'm assuming you're probably thinking you're not doing much, but it probably means the world to them, literally, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you always, everybody always thinks their actions don't mean anything, right? But as someone's always watching, mm -hmm. someone's, it's always, someone's always affected by it. But, you know, with them, I, I kind of got, and my wife's been pivotal in this whole, you know, this, this whole building of Athlete Institute and how to deal with these young kids. Because, you know, I run every decision by her and she's just like, you better be ready to you know, help raise these kids because you have a responsibility. These kids are 13 years old. Mm -hmm. this, you're going to have them, you have to raise them. You have to teach them how to become a man. Like an adoptive parent. Yeah, man. like the program as a whole. But like if, I, if it's my program and I'm going to commit to them, like you've got to, you know, help them into manhood. It's like, geez, when you put it that way, like that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you have any supports for yourself? Any who? Like in terms of just social supports or like just so that you can function, right? Because I'm assuming sometimes it's probably stressful for you, right? Like how are you getting through these things? Oh, my family's great. Like my wife is fantastic. That's good. Um, yeah. Kids are great. I mean, my my um, brother and sisters are partners in the business too. Um, okay. So I'm the one who run it. But, you know, they're, again, they've got his as big a heart, you know, they want to, they want to help. We started this thing to help the pathway of kids achieve their dreams, right? That's mm. the goal. It wasn't to have NBA players. It was like, how can we use a facility that we have access to and impact people who are at that point traveling down the U S and getting in bad situations, give them a positive outlet because we know that they need to be somewhere and help them succeed. And so as long as we just keep, that in focus you know it's we're accomplishing our goals um you know everybody's all always asking like oh we should open the second one in a different city and you know expand it's like we've tried to go to fifth you know we've had 50 players at the most inside our full-time academy mm -hmm. and we brought it down to one team instead of three because i was finding that I like I can't have we can't have as much positive impact on fifty players than we can have on you know fifteen. Mm. So I'd rather you know really you know select fifteen and give them that much more than sort of dilute you know over fifty because you're not just you know you're they're getting a product but I, again I really hope to be a positive impact on these kids. 
well, it's in just the way you spoke of, it's not just about basketball, right? It's about building these, these young boys into men. And so doing it, if you can't do it right across 50, I mean, it's probably not worth doing like that's, and you're, I'm, I'm just incredibly proud of you because just the, the vision that you and, the, and your family has had and just that the why that you spoke of, of wanting to build people's dreams. Like, I think that to me is such an attractive feature about, I didn't know that like that. I, I assume that it was, you know, just purely about basketball. But when you speak about it at, at just that high level, that's just so attractive because it's like your why is is so much bigger than basketball like people can really buy onto that right it's that that saying of people don't buy what you do they buy why you're doing it and like i, I yeah incredibly proud of you man because that's just um who like there's not many people who think like that so good yeah, for it's you. been challenging it's not like there's been a roadmap that's for sure and there's been a lot of yeah a lot of people who don't want to see see me succeed which is unfortunate so it's Oh, is that right? Yeah, Canada is an interesting environment for new businesses sometimes and new products and new thoughts because until it gets validated in the U.S., then people don't take it seriously. So it's like, oh, like it is what it is in your backyard of Canada. But until you're on, you know, ESPN, until you're being talked about in American mm. media, then it's like, oh, you know, then they accept you. And it's always been that way, even with basketball players. You know, if you're not, you're, if you're good in Canada, well, unless the Americans say you're good, then you're not good. Mm. And it's unfortunate, but you know, it's been a a fun road. I mean, no, I was just saying I had to create an ecosystem for for the academy because you know when you create a, a new basketball academy, you don't exactly have people to play. Yeah, right. It's not like there's other teams or stuff you can play in. So we were having to travel to the U.S. every weekend to try to get games, flying across the country all, all the time. And so this isn't sustainable. So I had to create a league, right? I had to create a league so that I could cut down on the travel mm-hmm. and get more playing. So I created a league called the OSBA, the Ontario Scholastic Basketball Association. And then that, we started about six years ago and, that grew to now I think when it before COVID hit more than I think 60% of the, the division one scholarships the Canadians were getting were coming out of that league okay so there's 16 teams men's and women's across Ontario you know so if you're a regular school if you're a private school if you're a prep school you can decide not to play in your respective leagues and join this league and everybody all the top teams get to play each other and then the schools mm-hmm. can so we solved that issue of the kids being able to not transfer because it was like if I can't take any more than 15 kids how's that helping Mm -hmm. everybody so I said I thought if I developed a league where other schools can recruit players and kids can transfer there and they have a elevated service level then I can go from 15 to you know 150 a year and so that took off really well because obviously there was a, a demand of players wanting to, to to get into that league. And now it's, uh, I think, yeah, NCAA scouts call it top three league in North America now of talent. Mm. Um, but then I needed something else for the top players to try to achieve because we were losing recruits 
to the U.S. because they wanted to become All-Americans. Mm. They wanted that top-level status. Like, be a part of, like, would it be, like, AAU or something like that? or? Well, no, like, the, so that if you're in American high school, even if you're a Canadian, yeah, if you're the, you know, top 24 player in the U.S., you get selected to be a McDonald's All-American. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's 24 spots. And so recruits who were Canadian were saying, well, I want to become a McDonald's All-American. So they would go to the mm-hmm. States. So I said, well, I need to have an equivalent. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I started the, the Bios to All-Canadian game. Yeah. So that our kids could try to achieve, you know, the highest level of, and so that I could, you know, complete this, the cycle so that, you know, you have a, academies at the bottom that could capture lots of kids, a league that they could play structured basketball and not have to leave uh, their households and still get raised by their parents and go to the States. And then the all Canadians, so then the top players from around the country can get honored for, you know, staying in Canada. And then COVID hit. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But we... But you got a you got a couple of years of the Biosteel game, didn't you? Yeah, we, we're six years in now. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a you know, and we'll 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 be back. Like it's still you know preparing for this upcoming year. Yeah. But the momentum was just a sure you know, huge buzzkill. Um, what happened? So, what did the creation of the OSBA do to like just the regular high school system? Like in terms of sports being played at high schools, like are now I'm assuming these kids now don't want to obviously play for their school team or or what? Well, the schools like Henry Cars, like um, I want to say Bond, but they changed their name. Mm. It's not Bond anymore, but um, you know the private schools they, they can choose not to play in OFSA and then they join this league. And so OFSA is probably getting killed then. OFSA is non-existent anymore. So is that right? Okay. Yeah. Like they're still around but like the level of play like it's just their rule system is so archaic it's just unfortunate that it just the way they went the way that they did because it was either like their rules are the same. So again, all those kids who are now have the chance to stay and play would mm. all be in American prep schools mm. and high schools. And that would just be because of OFSA. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, because OFSA was the thing you wanted to get to if you're an Ontario athlete, for sure. Oh, yeah. But now, like OFSA's, even in OFSA, you would have Eastern Commerce, right, versus... Pine Ridge or something, right? Mm-hmm. They come from two different school boards. They never play each other all year. Mm-hmm. They go through schedules, blasting the rest of the schools in their area mm-hmm. to finally get to offset and have what two, three like notable games. Like it just it doesn't uh, it doesn't help the kids at all. Well, and, and and you don't really get a sense of your your skills and how good you are because, like you said, you're you might you might be blowing out your your area, but your area could be shit. Like so, we so I I played I played um, volleyball um, in a, a senior level in high school, um, and we went to Offsa, and we blew out like we we're the Toronto champs, right? But we get to we get to uh, Offsa, we get smoked. 
because there's all these schools from like um, Chatham Kent and you know all yeah. these other areas and they're just top notch but we've never played them before and so we would have never had that exposure so yeah I can I can totally relate to sort of the gap that you tried so to solve. So that takes a, a guy like Pesh who didn't know he needed to do more to become the world famous volleyball player. Yeah, that's not happening, man. I'm five eight. I'm not playing volleyball. <laughs> Setters that are small, short. I'm sure. <laughs> that's not happening. But I appreciate the appreciate the projection. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting. What about the women? What's uh, what's happening for the women? What's the pathway for for this to happen for the women? Yeah, and it's it's always been right at the front of. The page, all of the events I've done, all the leagues have always had a, a female component. Mm. But for Orangeville Prep, I've always held that until I can do it on par with the guys, I'm not going to do a superior product. Um, you know, because mm. I got proposed a lot of time. Well, they don't need to be in residence, or they don't need to have all the gear. They don't need, and it's like, no, like if they're if I'm going to put my name on it, it's going to be mirror to mirror. You know, they're getting the same advantages. Same treatment so, too, right? Yeah, the same treatment, yeah. same advantages. And again, my view was I don't know enough about women's basketball or the, the female experience through sports to go and just say that I can open up an academy, mm. right? Let, you know, and, I, and if I don't know that aspect, I don't even know how to hire somebody because I don't know what pieces are, are uh, you know, the right pieces. So I put a plan in place. Um, we started initiating it during COVID, and it's a uh, forget how many steps it is, but it's like a five stage process to our female program with our team starting in uh, September 2022. Mm-hmm. So we selected a board of excuse me board of advisors um, who are you know strong uh, figures in female basketball business. And we're going to create sort of a leadership and mentorship um, women's basketball academy to mirror the guys. Hmm. Because one of the things I'm talking to a lot of people in that industry is that the journey through it, um, like for guys, like if you're a coach, for, for instance, if you bring a, a bunch of assistants with you, right, you've always got a group of group of guys where if you get a new job it's like oh i'm calling this guy this guy this guy this guy and then those guys learn and then they start getting jobs well the the female experience through sports from what i've sort of gathered is there's there's, there's solos on the island because they have to work so hard to keep their their, their status constantly mm-hmm. and constantly and constantly so they don't get the opportunity to create a network while they're, they're growing and then coming going through it so we want to focus on again basketball, but how do you know help these these ladies as they go through their basketball journey and, and you know see the aspects in networking and business and industry and like all these other aspects that um, you know go along with it. We want to start yeah. building that through our i wonder i'll have to i'll have to connect you to a couple of people i know because they're actually very well connected in the women's game out west um but i for my sense is that they're like a lot of the alumni networks are pretty banded together like they're pretty close and they know of each other and there's a lot of supports out there um so i wonder if some of that already exists but 
it's a it's a fair point like it's probably doesn't exist nearly as much as like it does for the men maybe yeah and that's i mean you talk with whether they're in the media aspect whether they're in the actual athlete you know they're the athlete in the in the uh, scenario if they're a coach in that scenario and even we 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 saw this when we were trying to hire a coach for our, you know our female side so you know we find a, a coach that we want you know say it doesn't work out we ask them oh who do you have that you've been mentoring or you know, assistance mm-hmm. or somebody mm-hmm. and it's just like nobody like mm. you know it's just doing you know just doing me um whereas our experience with guys has been like oh like you know he's been my, my assistant sort of all these through AU and club and right. basketball for six seven years like he'd be a good fit with this guy so it's I, I think um I'm getting the advice from people who actually know they know um, yeah that female experience for sports so that we can, when we do it, which will be, you know, so we've started our program to get there, but our team will be September, 2022. Hmm. Um, before I kind of get into like the, my final two questions for you, what do you feel like are still like the sort of opportunities or gaps that remain in Canadian basketball? Like, you know, I can, I, I, I suspect you're already thinking about sort of, what's sort of the next thing or how to build this out even further. So like, where do you feel like the opportunities are at? Um, one, get the province, like the country unified in um, a championship, right? A high school championship. Mm. We don't have that. Um, again, you know, you think like, oh, really? Like, it seems like that would be a probably a normal thing to have a high school national championship. We just don't have that. Mm. Um why is that? Is that just because education is sort of a provincial thing or? No, it's just that um, our governing bodies have been so, you know, soloed. Mm. Um, and we don't have the, again, a lot of these things usually come from because you can capture corporate sponsors, right? It hasn't been really possible in Canada in the past to, to, have that many corporate sponsors be, you know, interested in something like that. Mm. So whereas in the States, they can make something like that happen. Um, people have had the thought, it's just, you know, getting the product to, to go and getting a, a sponsor to, to like it. I think corporations are finally now in Canada realizing that basketball is here to stay. Participation is here to stay. The demographic of who plays basketball is, you know, going to continue to grow. Um, so uh, I think basketball and soccer will be our two biggest sports in 10 years. So do, essentially, do you think that you have to have like a an OSBA for every province kind of thing for sort of a national championship to, to emerge? Or? or just have the, you know, the provinces be able to agree to participate. That's been the mm-hmm. issue and right, like, you talk to basketball BC, basketball Alberta, stuff like that. Again, the club system and the high school system don't communicate. Mm. So there's governance for high school and there's governance for club. Mm. High schools have been doing the exact same thing for 70 years. You know? um, and they're, they're, they haven't changed or you know stepped outside the system. There's prep schools popping up around Canada all over the place now. Okay. Basketball, yeah, all over the place. 
and you know good people really trying to make a go of it you know because basketball is being played it there's a demand for it all over the place mm. and the thing that i think some people don't understand is canada's immigration policy is going to drive the need for more basketball because a lot of the countries that are attracted to come to canada basketball is a huge part of mm-hmm. where they come from you know, as a global sport. So when they come, it's not like, you know, give me a hockey stick. It's like, mm-hmm. I already love basketball. Where do I, you know, learn how do I do this? Yeah. 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 Where do I play more? Yeah. So the thought of where it's just needed in sort of, you know, the Toronto's, Vancouver's, Montreal's, I think it's going to change to across Canada because, you know, people are moving to, you know, the Edmontons and, Saskatchewan's and, and Regina's mm. and, and Winnipeg's and stuff like that. So, you know, some great players coming out of Winnipeg, great players mm. coming coming out of um, you know the middle provinces. So, is, is it a, is it a fair analogy to say you kind of need something like like the CHL essentially? Because like those guys are are they are they after high school? I can't remember, but. Um, I, I don't know, but I, I, the concept of it, yeah. Like, okay. I honestly think that high school basketball, and you, you see in even the Supreme Court's decision two days ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, again. Against the NCAA you're talking are, about? Yeah. Yeah. College athletes are able to, you know, capture wages and stuff like that for mm-hmm. being there. The attention just keeps coming younger. There's already paid high school leagues right overtime media has got a, a paid high school basketball league now in the states yeah yeah so you know they're offering guys upwards of 150 170 you know thousand dollars in high school to play and you've got also these basketball stars who are ninth 10th 11th 12th grade because of social media who have millions of followers so the attention is just going to, again, people want to see them play because mm-hmm. they already have more fans than most of the NBA players. So That's wild. If, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, if more people want to see um, Mikey Williams play in grade 10 and grade 11 because he's got two two and a half million followers on Instagram, you know, than Danny Green... Like, you don't have to make it to the NBA at that point, Mm. right? So that attention of high school basketball will continue to develop um, as an entertaining sport because the talent keeps getting more and more refined down to sort of the ninth grade, where these kids now are coming into the ninth grade and, you know, there's step-back threes and windmill dunks, and, like, it's like, what is this? Like, this is wild. Supreme Court uh, decision, are you are you for it? For for are yeah. you are you in support of it? Like do you think that the the college like the NCAA athletes should 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 be able to kind of share in oh, in that percent. revenue? Yeah. A thousand percent. Again, like they're making so much money off those athletes mm-hmm. and knowing so many of those athletes who go through and I still have to send them shoes, like and and stuff like that because their program's not supporting them enough like yeah like they're like 
they come out banged up. Some of them, if you're American, uninsurable, right? From pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. They come out like with surgeries. They come out as like a shell. And then what? They're, they're 24 years old. Some of them have degrees. Maybe they didn't, you know, necessarily value at the time. And they've they're they've been so focused on basketball for so long, and everybody's given them all up to that point. Then they have nothing. So, like, yeah, if they're gonna put it all out there for a school to wear a school's name, and the, and the school is not having free admission to their games and not selling jerseys, sure, but they're making so much money and. It's, it's, it's on the backs of these players been fighting right? for years right it's free labor yeah for sure no i think that's sure. a, that's a, that's where my head's at is too is like certainly those players you go to the pros okay you know they're gonna get paid but even then like you think about like the college football athletes like you know they're sacrificing their bodies and even if you go to the nfl you know who knows how long you exactly their career is not that long like you're really exploiting these players and for them to not to like the ncaa is massive right like it's a multi-billion dollar industry and um yeah hopefully the i what i want to know is whether the other players will sorry the other athletes that are not in the big sports like basketball and football will they also benefit from this too they're already getting paid it's just basketball and football who are held to the standard. If you're a tennis player, you're taking endorsements already. You're playing for Stanford. If you're a swimmer, same thing. If you're like, if you're in other sports, there's soccer even. You know, you're, they're able to capture some um, professional endorsement. I did not know that. Yeah, so there's other sports in the NCAA. So it's the same thing. If, if, <laughs> if the standards aren't the same, you know they're fighting for something big, mm. right? Like if if they're just talking about basketball and football again, that's it's because there's so much money there. That's why they're percent of of the money sitting right yeah, there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Those other athletes are getting paid. Okay. I think I I I wonder if that's news to people because yeah, I definitely I just thought that because they're not part of the big sports that they're kind of getting shafted. But no, like you'll have, you know, they're mostly in the individual sports, mm-hmm. but you know they'll be able to take sponsorships and. And you know, prize fees. There's stuff that's it's, it's allowed. Hmm. Jesse, this is a good transition to just my last two questions. Hopefully, you got a chance to kind of look or think about them. Um, I've unfortunately put a few guests on the spot, which is not uh, which is not good. But uh, the first question is: If there are five people dead or alive, who would you have supper with? You know, I thought about this for a while because you have to think about. It. That's why you ask them. Right? It's the whole purpose. Is you're like this guy, you know, you have to think about, it. and then you start thinking about like, oh, who should I say? You know, who they all you know, too cliche. Who, you know, who shouldn't you say? And so I definitely did think about it a lot, and I came to a conclusion because there's a lot of scope of, of uh, you know, creativity in that question, dead or alive. Hmm. So I think for me, I'd have dinner with. Myself, my son, my dad, his dad, and his dad. Mm. They're all at age 30, all of us. And and then uh, I feel like that could go some wild places. (laughs) Okay, well, you're going to have to... That is the most... um, 
that's a different answer that anyone has ever kind of given. So you got to tell us more. Why? Uh, tell us how you thought well, that through. Like, as soon as you become a dad, you, you put everything in more perspective. Like, you, you know, if you have a son or a daughter, you think like, yeah. what was my dad doing when I was five or six? Like, you know, like because me and my dad, is, we had, he had me the same time I had my son. We were both 30. So I kind of lined things up a little bit. Mm. And, uh, and I was just like, I wonder, you know, you wonder what your parents were like when they were your age. Mm-hmm. You know, not that they, they do stupid things, but like, were they mature? Were they funny? Were they an asshole? Were they patient? Like, were they, would, would they have been your friend? And then I thought, well, then you look at, how, you know, his dad and I think, oh, he's a pretty cool dude. And I was like, I would really have liked to get to know him, like, you know, when he was younger. And then it's like, well, what was the other guy like? His dad. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I heard he's quite, he's, he's an asshole. Well, I want to know what an asshole, you know, what type right. of asshole he was. <laughs> right? Because, and, and like, it's When just, did the asshole part leave the family? <laughs> yeah. And then like, what trait am I, have I picked up from my great, great, great grandfather? Right. Yeah. That, and like, it's just, I think that would be, and then just hearing the stories and just like, we're just being able to relate down different things they just for me that would be sweet it's almost like a lab study right it's like a sample size from every generation yeah i just see you i just see you decoding everybody be like okay this is how we thought this through this is how i'm gonna make things better you know i love it that's an uh, awesome awesome answer oh man yeah i thought about it a lot though good good there's a lot of other people i'd like to have dinner with but i think that one topped it for me yeah that's that's fantastic um besides the circle of life what do you know for sure i know that uh life shouldn't be taken for granted and that it can it can just go away just like that for sure it's uh you know i think everybody's seen that a lot this year but i think that's one thing that's I think we, we we don't appreciate every day that we have, even just to, to be born in this country. Mm-hmm. Just the benefits of that, what that has, and maybe the negatives for some things or whatever. But like, you know, just take advantage of where we are for you know when we are, and uh, don't leave anything on the table. Yeah, Jesse, Dad, been- Dad can fix everything. oh man you're good with your hands are you good with your hands i have to be now like you have to be that doesn't mean you're good with your hands though no i've always been like even when i was a kid i used to take my toys apart see how they're built and like take the motors out of them so now like just i feel like i'm fixing something every second the best feeling i get is when my daughter is like we will tell my wife or my mom lives with us too and she'll be like no, you don't touch that guy's daddy's going to fix it. And that makes me feel so good, but fuck, that's a ton of pressure. Like, gotta I'm just like, can I, yeah, I got to fix it. Oh God. Yeah, um, now you got to fix it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Jesse, man, I really appreciate this conversation. Um, I, I, there were things that I think I knew about you just having worked with you, but really kind of solidified that. And again, it's that commitment to excellence. It's that thing about just, you see a problem and you just want to keep tinkering and you're asking these questions and you just run with it. And, 
and I saw that firsthand and it's just really, really cool to see how you're doing that right now with, with the Athlete Institute, with Orange Oil Prep, with Canadian basketball overall. And it's just, I, I feel a tremendous amount of joy and pride that, that I, that I know you and that we get to have this conversation. And I also see that I feel like I'm taking away from Super Mario at the background there. Um, the original, the original Super Mario, which is, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Are you playing uh, that or is that your son? Well, I battle because I, that was, I got that originally when I was five years old, first came out, my uncle got it for me and I never liked video games. So it's like the only console I had and I stopped playing it, but I kept it safe all the time. And then I, I got a little older. I was like, wouldn't it be cool if I could give it to my son yeah. or my daughter and they could go through all the levels for the first time, right? Cause you ah. learn cheat codes and all yeah. this stuff yeah. and all the levels and the warps and all that stuff. And, but you remember when I first played it, like, Oh, it was a free life right there. So I was like, I, now I won't play it because I don't want to go ahead of where he's at. Okay. And I want to see him go through the progression of it. Cause we don't really have video games in the house or anything like yeah. that. But like super Mario or Mario brothers one, on the original NES, you can play that. Yeah. You still got to blow the dust out of those cartridges? But I am fixing that thing all the time. <laughs> like, the last thing I heard is I got to take the thing apart, boil it in water, put it back, like, all the time. <laughs> oh, man, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right, my man. Well, Actually, yeah. like, I, really, I really appreciate this. I love being on. You guys are doing great stuff with this podcast. Thank you. Keep it up. I mean, just being able to talk to people and see different sides of things. It's just a, the beauty of being human. So I uh, like, appreciate what you guys are doing. And anytime I can come back, just I would love to come back and we can talk about anything under the sun. Appreciate that love, man. Um, yeah, no, this is fantastic. I'm going to post all of uh, links to the Athlete Institute, anything that's related around Jesse um, on the show notes. And uh, hopefully you guys check this out. This is if anything you want to know about Canadian basketball, this is the episode. This is the guy. So appreciate your time, man. And uh, let's let's not wait ten years for us to connect. Uh, we got to We got to do that. Uh, we got to do that early for sure. So, thanks, man. I appreciate thanks, it. Man. Okay. Take care.